Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. We, I mentioned last week uh, five different ways that in my conversations with people and the things that I'm reading, uh, categories that I, that I see people experiencing this coronavirus COVID crisis. So one of them was grief, like deep grief, the loss either physically or financially, you know, and, and everyone's grieving a new normal, but like deep grief over, over significant life change. Thankfully, that's probably the one that in, in my circles, it's the, the least that people are experiencing in our area. People are, are experiencing that. Anxiety was one of them, just uncertainty over the future. The, oh, guilt was one of them. You know, the idea that you're kind of enjoying this, but you don't want to let anybody know because they're experiencing anxiety and grief. Conflict. You know, there's conflict that you can, you can kind of keep underneath the surface during normal times, but these aren't normal times. And so conflict is surfaced because we're around each other all the time. And, and so last week, that's what I talked about. And this week, what I want to talk about is, is the last of those categories. And what, it's what I call the blur's day phenomenon. The idea that everything is just the same and um, everything has kind of been thrown upside down. And so there's this struggle to to figure out how to be productive and what is our new normal for now, you know? And this involves things like the COVID-19 pounds that people are picking up. There's the freshman 15 when you go to college and it's the COVID-19 that a number of people have been talking about. I was thinking earlier about, um, there's a Bill Murray movie from years ago called Groundhog Day, and it's starting to feel like that. Like every day is exactly the same, and no matter what you screwed up yesterday, you have another shot to go at it again today because it's all going to be the same thing. And so COVID is affecting our ability to like be productive members of society in different ways. Now, for some of you, like there are extremes on this. Some people are sitting there thinking, well, it hasn't affected my ability to be productive. I'm working 10, 12, 15 hour days. And I know people that are doing that because whatever business they're in, like it's, it's engaged in this. And so they're busier than they've ever been and, and don't really relate to this. And then there's the other side of it, of the, the grief and anxiety where life is shut down. Maybe you've lost work. And so you're in a different reality, but, but most of us are right in the middle of this. And our routine has changed. It's changed a lot. It's not gone completely, but it's a lot different than what it used to be. And we're having trouble adjusting to it. And we're not sure why we're having trouble adjusting to it because it seems like it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but it is that big of a deal. So most of us are working from home, you know, and so the lines between home and work can get blurred and you have trouble adjusting to what's home and what's work. Um, some of have managed really well and you've been so productive at home that you're going to be at home because your company is like changing their plans on what you can do in the future. And I read a couple times this week about a whole new genre of software called Tattleware, where your company's trying to figure out how to keep track of you through your computer because they're going to let you work from home. Um, some of us can't delineate between work and home because there's so many people in our home and everyone's home all the time. And so then there's all these responsibilities that you have to bounce around. And so for, for, for us, when 
Um, when my wife is at work and I'm the one that's working at home, you know, I'll wander upstairs mid-morning trying to figure out if the kids are actually doing anything school-related, you know, and I'll be asking them, are you on a call? Did you get anything done? Uh, what are you doing? I thought I busted one of them this week because he said, I'm, I'm on a call, Dad. I'm like, I can hear you. You're playing a video game. He's like, yeah, but my teacher's on here with me. And so, like, what do we do with that, you know? And this is our, our new reality. Um, I'll tell you, writing a, writing a sermon is an exercise susceptible to distraction under normal circumstances. And so it just gets harder uh, with this. And then some of us have, we have margin in our schedule that we didn't have previously. You know, our kids don't have all the activities. We don't have um, the nights for work that, that we're used to having. And so what do we do with the margin? Uh, I can remember a time where I used margin to tackle projects around the house, but I'm, I'm just not in that time right now. My wife probably remembers that time fondly and wishes that I was there. And, but it's just a struggle. I finally decided to redo a bathroom, but I don't want to go to Lowe's or Home Depot to get the stuff to redo the bathroom because if there's one place on earth that they don't care about the coronavirus, it's Lowe's or Home Depot. Like nobody there cares about the whole thing. Daniel was talking about going there. And uh, he said they have two lines open and they spaced you like you're six feet behind the person in front of you. But but they opened up the two lines that are two feet apart from each other. And they're like, well, we tried, but they didn't. And so you can do your home project, but you're taking your life in your own hands. And so there are days when I just think, man, I am a waste of, of human flesh. And relate to Katie last week when she was leading worship, said it was the first time in four weeks that she'd put on real pants. That's just where we are. The LA Times had an article that said, enough with the work from home sweatpants, dress like the adult you're getting paid to be. And this is what we're living in. I, um, I read an article, this was from CNN. I printed this out and I felt like this, this woman did a good job of getting underneath that. And saying it's understandable that you feel this way. So this is, let me, I'll read a few excerpts from this. Are you losing your mind in quarantine? Because I am losing my mind in quarantine. It can feel trite, even crude, to talk about our own discomforts, frustrations, and longings in the midst of a pandemic that's infected more than 3 million people worldwide and killed more than 200,000, including nearly 60,000 in the United States. Across the globe, families are grieving friends, family, and community members. Husbands, wives, children, parents, and partners are saying goodbye via iPad, unable to hold a loved one's hand in their final moments. It's a grim, ghastly time. Those of us who are just stuck in self-isolation and not hooked up to a respirator or the next of kin of someone who is, we are the lucky ones and know what's being asked of us is not excessive. We just need to stay home. So why does this feel so hard? (laughs) And then she talks about, you know, the stress and the anxiety and people feeling genuinely, generally discombobulated, which I think is a great word for this, how parents and caregivers are stretched thin, how we've canceled trips, concerts, and weddings. We're bringing up babies without the help of extended family. Big life milestones like graduations are going uncelebrated. We have two in our house that our kids are missing those last few months with their friends that they're not going to be with next year, and they won't have that graduation. We miss dinners out, parties in, museums, live music, theater, even the gym. 
And she said it's not just working from home. She's worked from home for close to a decade, but, but there are general work-from-home rules that you can't, you can't apply right now. She said there, there's a work-from-home rule that says you got to get out of the house once a day and go to the gym and go to the store and be social with people, but now that's a problem. And you'll try and find a place in your house that you can consider your workplace, but that's harder than ever because there's so many people in your house. No, we're not being asked to go to war or survive one, but what we are being asked to do is profoundly antithetical to our natures as human beings. It's profoundly destabilizing and difficult. There is little more human than the desire for connection, touch, stimulation, and novelty. This is also hard because in going without those things, it's not hyperbole to say that we have to find new ways of being or at least feeling human. Um... Then she talks about what the things we're missing out on and what we're missing is the meaning behind the things that we're missing. So if you can't go on, if you can't go on dates, you're not just missing a date. You're missing a date is the possibility of a romantic future. A trip isn't just a trip. It's a new and stimulating experience, a chance to understand yourself in a different context. A dinner out isn't just a dinner out. It's a moment of indulgence, pleasure, and connection with the person across the table. A longing to hug a friend is more than just I want a hug. A hug is a primal and fundamental longing for the way that touch is so often shorthand for everything we can't find the words to say. And so she gets to all these things that are underneath the things that we're missing and why it's so destabilizing for us. Compared to illness and death, these are small things. Being alive matters more, and so we have to continue to live this way for as long as it's necessary to keep ourselves and others safe and healthy. But it's also okay to grieve the pieces of life that we're missing, to express the feeling so many of us have that we can't take it anymore. (laughs) It's necessary to understand that missing the fullness of life, including pleasure and connection, doesn't make us selfish. Feeling destabilized and disoriented or pushed to the breaking point doesn't make us flaky or weak. It makes us human. I read that and I, I relate to that. I relate to that. And I know a lot of you relate to that. And so I want to, I want to speak a few things into how the Bible talks to us in the midst of being destabilized and and discombobulated. And the first thing I want to say is this, that we were, we feel this way because we were built for a routine. Uh, God made us for routine right from the beginning in Genesis. uh, God makes the earth in six days, and then he rests on the seventh day. And on the sixth day, he creates us in his image. And then throughout the Bible, he tells us that that is the routine that we are to be in, that we're to work for six days and we're to rest, that we need work and we need rest. In Deuteronomy, he says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, your livestock, the sojourner was within your gates, and all this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, The Sabbath is an Old Testament law. We are not under the Old Testament law. There are lots of Old Testament laws that we are not obligated to keep um, because Jesus fulfilled the law for us and and we're not under it. But, But like a lot of Old Testament laws, there are underlying principles that more than still apply to us. I mean, we're still made for the underlying principles. And so we were built for rhythms of work and rhythms of rest. 
We need that. And we are, particularly here, we are not very good at that. So we need to be productive. You need meaningful work that fits your, your skills and your abilities and your passions. And you need to get to the end of a day and feel like I accomplished something. And that's what's so hard right now to do for many of us. But then we need to remember that the world doesn't need us to be productive. <laughs> and that is a part of rest. It's not just so that we can physically or mentally or emotionally rest, but so that we can realize that God doesn't need us to be productive every day. The world can go on without us because we are prone to lose sight of that and to think that we can control of everything and we need to control everything. And within this, even within this passage, are wrapped up other aspects of Sabbath. There's identity. The Israelites needed this reminder that they are people that had been rescued by the Lord. They're not slaves anymore because they've been freed from that. And so we are people that have been rescued. Jesus did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Christianity is not about the things that we can do for God, but about the things that God has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And part of Sabbath and, and resting on Sabbath is a reminder that we can rest from our work because of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. And that's part of our routine is remembering that. All of that's built into the routine that God wants for us. And we see routine all around us that God has routine for us. Nature is full of routines. Physics is routine. You know, gravity is routine. And, and thank God that physics is routine and that it all just repeats and it works the same way. The days uh, are a routine. The seasons are a routine. Months and weeks, they are a routine. And God in the Old Testament uses those. He's got the Old Testament festival calendar, which is during these specific seasons and these specific times, you're going to take a break and have a party and remember how good I've been to you because you're prone to forget it. And so God builds all of this into our routine. The, uh, a few months ago, I heard someone talking about this and I couldn't find it. So I couldn't find the details, but the French, I did find part of it. The French tried to get out of the routine of a week. During the French Revolution, which a, was a completely secular, they were trying to get away from religion completely during the French Revolution. So they tried to do away with the seven-day week because it's a biblical thing and because they figured they could squeeze more productivity out of their people if they had a nine-day week with one day of rest instead of a six-day week with a day of rest. So they tried a 10-day week. They, they threw everything upside down. They tried to have... Um, they changed it so that there were 10 hours in every day and 100 minutes per hour, 10-day weeks. There were three a month, and then there were five, five holidays at the end of the year. And the whole thing didn't work because people aren't made for it. And so they tried that routine for about 12 years, and then they had to scrap it. The only thing out of that that they didn't have to scrap was the metric system. Who knew? This is where we got the metric system from is, is the French, of course, the French. And so we're built for it. Like we're built for routine and we can't get away from it. There's another article about that I saw about how this is um, messing with us. And this woman who's a professor of psychiatry says it's a perfect storm between changes in environment, the loss of social anchors, and increases in cognitive stress. And on top of that, most of us aren't getting the sleep uh, that we need to get. And so she talks about how our bodies are geared towards these rhythms and some of them are, are natural, you know, 
sunlight you know, cues us into our rhythms. But our evening commutes, our mealtimes, our religious services, those routines have disappeared. Our days have lost their structure, and our once clear boundaries are now blurred. And on top of that, we have to figure out what the new routine is, and so that requires a bunch of mental energy to figure out what the, the new thing is that we're going to do and what we're going to do every day. And I was reminded about how Steve Jobs used to wear the same outfit every single day, so it was one less thing that he had to think about. And that's what this is, that there's all these, all these things that we have to worry about, you know, that we have to deal with. Can we go to the store? Do we really need to go to the store? Do we have our mask to go to the store? Does that person, like Corona judging people, take some mental energy, you know, because you walk through the store and you think, surely they've got it. Uh, and so we're dealing with that all the time and it's changing. Um, it's changing and adding stress uh, to our routine. And and that, that's part of why we're struggling. Like it's totally normal and biblical that we're struggling with this. And so one of the things they suggest is work hard to find a new routine, you know, go to bed. Like for some of you, it's just go to bed sometime, you know, but go to bed at the same time and make that a routine. Get up in the morning, like get up in the morning on purpose, get up in the morning at the same time, um, every morning, spend, spend some time with the Lord. Like we, I would say this under normal circumstances, but especially now, when you probably have a little bit more margin to make this a reality, your brain is going to engage something first thing in the morning. You can choose what it engages with. And so when I sit and, and read first thing in the morning, and for me, reading is like the best, because it totally engages and it has my mind and things of who God is and what God's doing. And it doesn't always directly apply to anything, but it, but it puts my mind in that direction on the Lord. And so make that a part of your routine. Try and exercise a few times a week. You know, just go for walks around the neighborhood. Um, take breaks. If you're working from home, like give yourself the grace to take breaks and, and make your priorities your priorities. And so if you're at home and you have the kids, don't feel bad about taking a break to make sure that they're not burning your house down, okay? Uh, and rest in this rest. Rest and Sabbath. Um, and again, we don't we don't have to work it out exactly the way they did in the Old Testament, but having a set time of rest is something we should be doing all the time. And now we, we probably have a little more flexibility to make that a reality, but, it, but and I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago, and so she's got a little bit, her, her work has been affected. She has a little bit more flexibility. She's been trying to Sabbath, and she said, I realized exactly how hard this is for me. And that I just, I can't get myself to slow it down, especially during this time. And so challenge yourself to that, um, to really working that out. This is from Hebrews, and it's a passage about rest and Sabbath. And it says, if Joshua had given them rest, and so in the Old Testament, when they went into the promised land of God, if, if they had found real rest there, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And that's talking about we have rest in Christ, and so we have the opportunity to do that. And our Sabbath is that reminder that we can rest in Christ because he has accomplished the work that was necessary for us to be right with God. And so a time of Sabbath, again, whether that be a day, whether that be a morning, whether it be an hour, and I would encourage you to a set time is a time where you can, 
you can be reminded. You don't have to check your email. You don't have to check your text messages or your Twitter or your Facebook or your Instagram or your Snapchat or your Slack or any of that stuff. Like, just put your, put your phone in a drawer and ignore it for that time because you don't need it. You don't need to clean anything. You don't need to read anything. You don't need to do the laundry. You don't have to cook. And, and you may have to prepare to do that. Um, but give yourself a time where you don't have to get anything done. And when you try to do that, and it's so incredibly hard, get in touch with the fact that you were more of a control freak than you thought you were, <laughs> and let God be the one that's in control. Let that stretch you and let it push you. But when you come to the end of that time, you'll find that you are, uh, that you're refreshed. And in that time, like worship the Lord, do something you just enjoy and let yourself enjoy it and worship God that he created you with things to enjoy. So you're built for routine. And that is part of the reason that this is so disorienting for us. Now, God knows what it's like to have your routine messed with. Now, passage in Hebrews, when I was reading through it, trying to figure out where to go with this week, the next a few verses after that, it says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet as without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And at first I thought about that and I thought, Jesus doesn't know what this is like. Jesus never went through the coronavirus. He didn't have to social distance and he didn't have to wear a mask everywhere, you know? Uh, and I, and then I thought, I wonder if Jesus ever like thought about being productive, you know, like I just don't envision Jesus ever getting to the end of the day and going to spend some time with his father and saying, you know what, father, I feel like a, a just a waste of human flesh. I spent four hours in Twitter. I binge watched Breaking Bad and I ate a whole bag of Oreos by myself. I don't think God did that. I don't think Jesus did that stuff, you know. Uh, but the more I thought about that, I thought, and, and I, I don't know, you know. Uh, but, it, but it says he's our great high priest and he's been tempted in every way. I thought about the 30 years before Jesus started his public ministry. And during those 30 years, uh, we believe that Jesus was a carpenter because his father was a carpenter. And there's evidence in the scriptures that that's what he did. And carpentry matters, you know, like it's work. All our work is holy work. It's valuable work. But if you're Jesus and you know you have the ability to heal the lame, give sight to the blind and raise the dead, you might feel like you're not quite living up to your potential in your carpenter shop, you know? And so I wonder... Well, actually, I mean, it says he's tempted in every way. So I think he knows. He knows what this is like. Uh, he definitely had his routine disrupted. You know, I don't know what Jesus did in heaven before he came down to earth, but I'm guessing he didn't have to do things like eat and sleep. I don't think he did that. Uh, he didn't have to walk long distances and make a fire because he was cold. Uh, his product productivity was definitely hampered by being here. If, if from nothing else, from having to deal with us, because we are not efficient, you know, from having to deal with us all the time, his capacity was diminished. And so there's a passage in John chapter five, where they're on Jesus case about um, the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath and they're not supposed to, to do anything like that. I don't know how they knew that because they couldn't heal people, but, but they're on Jesus case for healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds and says to them, my father is working until now. And I am working. 
So he says, yeah, I'm going to heal on the Sabbath because my father's working. And so he calls me to work. And so that's what I'm going to do. And then they get doubly mad at him because not only is he going to heal on the Sabbath, but by saying that he's equating himself with the father and he's calling himself divine. He's calling himself God. And, and then it says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And again, a verse later, he says, or a few verses later, he says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he is our great high priest. He's been tempted in every way. He knows what this is like. He didn't set his own course. Jesus didn't set his own course. It's one of the most uh, profound things, I think, about reading through the Gospels again and again is seeing how often he is in communion with the Father trying to figure out what's next. Jesus submitted his routine to the will of the Father. And what the Father was doing, he did. And he was a part of that. And I think that's instructive for us right now. Uh, God is sovereign over this. God knows what he is doing right now. And we have to submit to that. And so if he has disrupted our routine, he has disrupted our routine for a reason. And we need to submit to that and know that he is in control of us. Uh, that, I think, gets it why this might bother us so much, that our routine has been disrupted. Because our routine, oftentimes, is not something that we have submitted so that God can build his kingdom and accomplish his will but our routine is something that we have constructed so that we can build our kingdom and we can accomplish our will and we can establish our identity. And our routine has been disrupted, so our plan has been disrupted. And he may be pushing us back to submitting completely to his plan. One person this week I read said this, Sabbath is not just a rest from making things. Sabbath is a rest from the need to make something of ourselves. Sabbath is a rest from the need to make something of ourselves. And often that's what our routine is. Uh, it may have started as something that we submitted to the Lord and we want him to be in control of, but routines are something that with these slight adjustments can become the thing by which we are going to make ourselves into something. There is a, a friend of mine who pastors and he said he had a guy in his church come to him somewhat desperate and said, man, I feel like my ability to provide and to protect has been stripped away from me and all my insecurities are coming into that space. And so the guy said as a husband, as a father, like his work has been affected so he can't provide for his family and he can't protect his family from a virus that he can't see and no one knows what to do about. And that's really affected his identity. And so that's where he's leaning into the Lord. Uh, when your routine has been thrown upside down, I mean, the Bible says Jesus knows what that's like because he's been tempted in every way. And so he knows, he knows what you're going through and he has reasons for you going through it. And then my, the last thing I'm going to say about this this morning is you can connect, uh, you can make a deeper connection with God when your routine is disrupted. Um, <clears throat> so you you can make that connection deeper with God when your when your routine is disrupted. And I have one more passage, and this I'm bouncing around a little bit. This is in Genesis, and so this is a somewhat familiar story, but but a little bit deep in Genesis, a little bit obscure. And so in Genesis, God calls Abraham and says, "I'll make a great nation out of you, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a land and make you a nation, and all the all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you." And so. Abraham goes with Sarah and then they have Isaac and then Isaac has uh, two kids, Jacob 
and Esau. And Esau is born first, and so he's supposed to have the birthright, which in those days was a big deal. And Jacob is born second, but um, Jacob ends up with, with the birthright. And with some help from his mom, or maybe his mom gets help from him, it seems to be her idea, but then it seems to be God's idea. It's a, that's a crazy story. Uh, he ends up stealing the birthright from his older brother Jacob, or from his older brother Esau. And, and Esau is livid about the whole thing. And the Bible says that Esau comforts himself um, by, by dreaming about killing his brother Jacob after his father Isaac has died. So once Isaac's out of the way, I'm going to take my vengeance and I'm going to kill my brother. And Jacob finds out about this. And so Jacob, you know, find, thinks it's, it's time to split. And now we've probably been on both sides of that equation, not to the point where, you, where you're thinking about killing somebody, but you might want to, you know, where you feel like I'm going to take my vengeance out against that person when I get the chance, or you feel like someone's going to take their vengeance out on me when they get the chance. And that might disrupt your routine. You know, <laughs> you might avoid that person for a little while. And this is what Jacob has to do. He has to get out of Dodge. And so again, with his, his mom's help, he decides to leave the land that they're in and go back to the land that Abraham came from and to find a wife for himself. And so he leaves on his own. And, and as he's on that journey, he ends up at a place called Bethel, uh, which is just north of Jerusalem. And it says that he lays his head down on a rock and goes to sleep. And this happens. He dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You shall, be, you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now, that's a promise, man. <laughs> In a place where you are not sure where God is, for him to say that, to, to reaffirm all that, and I'm going to keep you and I'm going to be with you wherever you go and I'll bring you back and I'm not going to leave you and I'm going to fulfill my promises to you, that is a promise. Uh, when it doesn't feel like God's with you or that you deserve to have God with you, um, apparently he's with you. And so... It says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome in this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So I thought about that situation and I thought about how upside down Jacob's life was in that situation. His routine was disrupted. He had to leave everything and, and go to a foreign place. Jacob had not handled himself well. And so that story of him stealing his birthright has always been one of the strangest, most confusing, shadiest stories in the Bible for me. And he's got to, at some level, feel guilty about how he tricked his brother and tricked his dad into getting that birthright. It's like I said, this is, I'm feeling this. I, I'm, I decided to preach this week on hitting the wall. And man, I slammed into the wall this week with this COVID stuff and, and just had the worst week I've had in a while. And again, from talking to folks, I know I'm not alone in that. Like we haven't handled ourselves the way that we want to think that we can handle ourselves during this situation. Jacob's future was uncertain. Uh, he was going to find a wife and to come back. 
Um, but getting a wife wasn't going to change the fact that his brother, who was a great hunter of things, wanted to kill him, you know. And when he does come back, he still thinks that Esau wants to kill him. That doesn't change. He's at a point in his life where there's not a clear path forward and there's not a clear path uh, back. It's uncertain. And we're living in a time of great uncertainty. There's not a clear path. It, you know, and the longer we go on, there's not a clear path out. You know, a few weeks ago, they were saying that this thing was going to peak on April 8th. And that seems to have kind of gone and not peaked. And it, and I don't know when it's going to. And I don't know how things get back to normal short of a vaccine. And it seems like that's going to take a while, you know. And I mentioned last week, we're starting to have conversations about how we get back together as a church. And that seems hard because you can't social distance kids. And so what does that look like when we get back together and and you know, so that there's an uncertainty about our future that is similar to what he faced. The space which Jacob was in seemed uh, God forsaken. You know, he didn't think God was in that place when he put his head down on the rock that night and had that dream. And it's easy to look at this space and wonder where God is in the midst of it. Um, so it seems like a, a God forsaken space. And Jacob had little reason to expect to meet God there. Uh, but he ends up surprised and saying, surely God was in this place and I didn't even realize it. God is in this place. God's in this place. God is in the midst of everything that is going on. If God is not in control of a global pandemic, then God is not in control of anything. He is. And that can be hard news on some levels, but it can be good news on a lot of levels because he is at work all around. And he's at work within. He's at work within you. He's at work within your family. There are things that he wants to do during this time. And we need to press into him and to look to him and to find what that is. It may be that he's disrupted your routine because your routine stinks and it needed disruption. You may be busy with all of the wrong things. And he may want to teach you that lesson so that you adjust your routine when things do get back to some form of normal. I was talking to Josh Peace in Nicaragua um, because it's, it, for them, I mean, the government's denied that this is even a problem. And so Josh is, you know, trying to protect the people in his organization on his own. So everything's upside down. But he made a comment. He said, I have to realize how incredibly upside down I am when I think I'm right side up. And that's what God's teaching him. That when he, when he thinks he has things under control, he really didn't. And, and he, God's pressing that message into him. And that may be the message that God wants to press in to you. Uh, it may be that he wants you to turn aside so that you can realize how bad you are at turning aside and resting in him. And he wants some time with you. One person I read this week pointed this out about uh, the 23rd Psalm, which is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So he's a shepherd. You know, he steers the sheep where he wants the sheep to go. And that the lines in there, you make me lie down in green pastures and you lead me beside quiet waters are written such that it's, it's not that you let me lie down in green pastures. You know, you give me some time so I can go lie down in green pastures. You make me lie down in green pastures because we don't normally go do that stuff. You know, uh, some of us are wound so tight that he needs to put us in that place. And maybe he wants to put you in that place. Maybe he wants to repair some relationships in, and the time is what it, it needs. Like I said last week, maybe the time and the, and the stress is some of that stuff needs to come to the surface so that you can deal with it 
and you need to deal with it. I don't know what it is, uh, but I know God is in the midst of it. And he's got work that he wants to do and wants us to press into that. It said, this is one where um, I, over the past two weeks probably, I hadn't been feeling this before that. <laughs> and, and then just in my conversations over the last few weeks, I've, I've realized that I'm not alone in this. Like in the things that I read and in the conversations that I have with people, a, a lot of us are feeling this. A lot of us are feeling this. And it's okay. And it makes sense. And God knows that God's here and God's got work to do. So lean into him this week. Seek him out. Seek what he wants to do and go along with him. Father, thanks for uh, your words, God. Thanks that in a time where um, things are upside, upside down, Lord, and um, it just it seems like there's not a, a quick end to this. Um, there's not a clean end to it. Uh, there's not, it, we don't have a glimpse of what a new normal looks like, Father. Um, that what we need to do is to press into you and that your word gives us hope uh, that it makes sense that we feel like this. Um, your word tells us with confidence that Jesus was a high priest who knows what this is like. And so he can relate to what we're going through. And in the midst of it, when it seems like we're having a hard time finding you, um, the Bible has story after story of people that had a hard time or thinks they were having a hard time finding you. Uh, but you were right there, Lord. And so we are grateful that you are right here in the midst of it. I pray that you would speak to us this week, Lord, that we would take the time to, to um, step aside and to seek you out and that you would speak to us in the ways that we need to hear from you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.